Well, today we're uh, going to conclude our series, as Pastor Cindy said, on in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, a life of spiritual blessing, uh, with chapter six. Uh, as you maybe recall, over the last few weeks, you know, the kind of the first part of our study, the first few chapters talked about the blessings and privileges that come with being a follower of Jesus. And then for the last few weeks, and even for the first portion of this morning, you know, God started laying out some of uh, the things that, that we're expected to do, some things that he wants for us to do. And finally, uh, Paul prepares us for these challenges because here's the thing, when you become a follower of Jesus, you also start attracting spiritual attacks. Because once you become a follower of Jesus, you become dangerous. You become powerful. And the enemy starts to take notice of you. And so today, one of the things we're going to start to see is how can we be prepared to deal with those attacks that the enemy will send our way. So let's begin this morning uh, by reading the first nine verses of Ephesians 6. So Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It says, Children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. Boy, every mom and dad in the world has loved that verse for years, haven't they? That has been the one verse every parent knew, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will, will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, so let's just take a look at these first few verses in a bit more detail. Okay, the whole thing I'm talking about parents loving that first verse, right? You know, children that's used there, children obey your parents is the word techna. I don't go to the Greek a lot, but it's the word techna. And that refers to all ages of children. The concept there is all ages of children who are living under their parents' roof. Okay, that would be the way to look at that. Uh, while the original language for the word obey literally means to listen attentively and then respond positively. Yeah, listen attentively, attentively and respond positively. Now, a lot of times our kids got the first part right. Maybe they listened <laughs> attentively. They didn't always respond positively, right? But, but think about this. This is not only that, but think of us as children of God. We are to... Listen attentively to the voice of the Lord and then respond positively as well. You know, here's the thing, this, these verses about parents, we got to remember, parents are stewards. We are standing in the gap as parents between our children and God while the kids are too young to have that full relationship with God themselves. The second verse kind of takes that family relationship a little further down the road. Kids are older. Okay, now it turns and he says, honor your father and mother. Honor. Honor means, it, it, it identifies this attitude of behavior. 
that means to value highly and hold in highest regard. It even encompasses, when it's talking about parents, the concept of the word even encompasses the concept of providing for our parents when they can no longer provide for themselves. These verses also require us to clarify that men and women are no longer coming under the authority of their parents once they marry. Right? Because we know that, because in Ephesians 5.31, which we read uh, you know, last week, I think it was, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So that, that kind of takes us from childhood you know, right on through adulthood. Okay, But regardless of our age and our time of life, special respect and concern for parents should continue as long as the parents live. You know, these commands that Paul gave become even more important as children grow up. Since the sense of respect and obedience that they developed for their parents will become the foundation for respecting authority of other leaders in their lives. Whether it's employers, government officials, spiritual leaders, but eventually God. The concepts that are conveyed in these first few verses then really become a big deal in the, in the outcome of the life of children. Because ultimately, the, relative to the quality of life they're going to ultimately experience, how well they get it, their level of success they'll achieve, but also finally the spiritual blessings that they will grow into and become mature enough to receive from God. So. Our job as parents is very important relative to the outcome of our kids. Then it went on in verse 4 and it talked to fathers. Now, that word, it, it really did mean the masculine father, but it's translated pretty often because the fact is parents. Okay? But it said, fathers do not exasperate your children. This command at the time that Paul gave it was really pretty radical because we've talked before in the culture of that day, uh, you know, men had a lot of power over their family. They basically had the power of life and death over their families. And so I think Paul was really being very, you know, straightforward to, to men. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Okay? Uh, because uh, even though today, I think we would all agree that, you know, most children in the world have more protections and, you know, from, from maybe what he was talking about, can we all agree there's still plenty of ways parents can discourage their children? Okay, you know, we, we, maybe some of us have even been guilty sometimes of going a little too far, you know, at times that if we could only hit the rewind button and have a do-over. Would anybody have ever had a do-over if they could take one? Anybody? Yeah, good. At least I'm glad to know you're all telling the truth this morning here. Because, because if you've raised one child, you've had some moments you'd say, oh, Lord, if I could just take those words back. Okay, so um, he's telling us, don't exasperate your children, okay? And, and, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to discourage them or provoke them. And, and today, you know, it may not be this fear of maybe what was in kind of in, insinuated here is more of a physical danger, but boy, you know, today, uh, unreasonable expectations, favoritism, 
uh, discouragement, threats of rejection. I mean, there's so many ways in various situations, right, that if parents aren't careful, that they can do uh, some damage. They can really uh, exasperate and discourage their kids. Fortunately, though, Paul doesn't just stop ever with telling us what not to do. Aren't you glad for that, okay? But he helps, gives us some guidance in what to do. And so then Paul goes on by saying, but raise them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. I have a question for you this morning. How do you view that? What does that look like? How do you raise a child up in the training and instruction of the Lord? What are some practical things that means? Okay. Yeah, your mom would have you do Bible studies. Praying with your kids. Good. Yeah. Okay. Caught more is caught than taught. So, so would that be then part of what parents do? Is it setting an example that the kids can see? Yes. Talking. Yeah, talking about with our kids, telling our kids about our own relationship with God. Uh, my grandmother would not, you know, not only take me to church yep. with her, even prayer meeting, but also when it comes to bringing the tithe to the pastor. Yes. She wrote the donkey, the food of condom, it was the best. Yeah. That, so your grandmother not only you know, taught you these things, but she involved you in actually walking them out, right? I mean, I think these are all great things, right? I mean, this, this whole idea that, but think of it, everything that was said involved both parent and child. Tra- tra- the, the danger gets to be uh, when train a child up and the way you should go means I drop them off at church and say, well... Do your thing, right? You know what I mean? That, that your kids, we talked before about the impact uh, that parents have on children, that we are the stewards. Okay, so ultimately their path is first set and the course is first set by us. And this, these examples of how we train a child up become important because Proverbs 22.6 makes a pretty important promise that a lot of moms and dads have probably claimed and prayed over the years as some of our kids tend to deviate a little bit along the way because it says train a child up in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Lord we just right now we claim all our kids that are far away from you and we claim them to come back. Lord, in Jesus' name, because you've promised us that if we train them up in the way they should go when they are old, they will not depart from it. The the following verses after that really deal with maintaining appropriate behavior and proper attitudes towards those we serve, like those we minister to at the church or work with in the marketplace. However, at the time of Paul's writing, Slavery was widely practiced throughout the culture. Now, most of the slaves that Paul was referring to at that time were from two sources. They were Jews who had gotten so deeply in debt that they had sold themselves into slavery as a way of paying back their debt. So it was for whatever, you know, the more money you owed, the more time you sold, okay, to, to be indebted or to be enslaved to whoever your master, whoever you were indebted to. 
the others were, were the, the Gentiles who they had conquered in lands in, in battle. Be clear on this though. Paul's using an example of slavery was in no way an endorsement of the practice. Okay, in fact, I guarantee you what Paul would say today is he was strongly opposed to the idea. Fact was, slavery at that time, though, was deeply ingrained in the culture, just like all the other places Paul went, like where idol worship was deeply ingrained in the culture. There were, so he uses what's going on to try and make points to help people understand. So he used it to make the point, in this case, that from God's perspective, master and slave stand as equals before God. Okay? He was also taking advantage of the moment to also make it clear that people's attitude towards slavery would only change if there was a change of heart. Everything in life, when one person tries to dominate over another, has, is only going to be solved with a change of heart. Nevertheless, even in our current day, the instruction Paul provided will, if we will apply it to our lives, will well serve us if we follow them. Because what he was really speaking to was, one, we ought to show proper respect to those in authority. We ought to follow their instructions even when they aren't watching. Okay? Even when they aren't watching. And we should do all of our work as if we were doing it for the Lord. These verses also provide a really good lesson in the fact that a person's authority, a person's authority is not some confirmation of superiority. Okay? Rather, it's an expectation of stewardship. God expects us to steward all that he places in our care according to his purposes and his principles. Okay, let's continue reading in Ephesians. Boy, I love chapter 6. This thing is just full of things we need to know for life, isn't it? All right, let's continue. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Paul goes on now and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that when you take your stand against the devil's scheme, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And then final greetings, he writes. So Titius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I'm and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose so that you, he may, you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an everlasting love. Okay, so now, in the first few verses we read, Paul, you can kind of see, turns a corner. He's turned from telling us some instruction on how, you know, on relationships, okay? And now uh, he is uh, talking about our, our blessings and provisions as a follower of, of Jesus, okay? Um, you know, the thing that we all have got to be clear on, and we mentioned it earlier, okay, is Paul is affirming here that all followers of Jesus, all of us, can expect to be confronted with spiritual battles. We, we, we just can't act like it's a surprise. We just can't act like it won't happen because it will. It will. The fact is, our life as a believer, um, it, it, we're, here's the deal. When God begins to bless you, Satan follows right behind with an attack. Right? Why does Satan do that? Why does Satan always follow right behind? Some of the best blessings of your life seem to be followed right behind with almost like this attack. Why does Satan do that? He wants to discourage you. Why else does he do it? Because he can? <laughs> well, that's, he, he sure can. He's good, and he's good at it, isn't he? You know? It's, it's his nature. Yeah. He is. You know what? He's, sometimes, if you think about it, right at your height is when you kind of go, life's pretty good. Right? And so what does it do? Satan comes in and says, I'll show you. Boom. Okay? So... He, he, wants, and he wants to find a weak point, but he also wants you to start to think that, you know what? God's not so good. Right? That blessing you just got didn't last long. Okay? I mean, Satan wants to do anything he can to undermine your faith, your confidence, and your trust in God. There was earlier, it said, God, God gives... Uh, well, we heard this the other day. Somebody said, God gives his strongest soldiers, the toughest battles, <laughs> okay? So Satan will give his strongest soldiers some of the toughest challenges as well, okay? So, look, when we're walking worthy in our calling, which means we're walking in humility, when we're walking not in, in when we're walking in unity, right, when we're walking in our new self, not our old self, when we're, when we're living uh, in mutual submission and rather than self-serving independence, when we're walking in these ways that God's Word has been describing over the last several weeks that we're to walk, Satan is not happy, and so he's going to look for ways to oppose us. 
here's, here's the hard truth maybe, okay? Uh, truth is that a Christian who is no longer facing any spiritual attacks is one who has either fallen into sin or complacency. Or who has just simply retreated from the front lines of faithful service to God. That's why verse 10 commands us. In verse 10 it said, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. The command is there because He knows we're going to need it. Going to need to be strong. And the good news is, the Lord's strength is always sufficient. Always sufficient. In fact, it is more than enough for any battle we will face. Our own strength is never enough. You and I... Can you and I take on Satan? No. We're going to lose every time. But but were we ever told that we're supposed to take him on directly? No, we weren't. There's no place in Scripture you can ever find that you and I are called to take on Satan directly. We only, Lord, in Jesus' name, please save me. Please protect me. Please give me strength. When we're, but... Our strength is, it said, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's why Paul also wrote in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, so we said now, we can all agree we need to be strong in the Lord. Okay, so what are some of the things that we can do to be strong in the Lord? What does that actually mean? What do we do to be strong in the Lord? Read our Bible. Pray more. Pray Pray in the Spirit. I do my devotions all through the day, like three, four times a day. Awesome. So do our devotions. So we spend time, we read the Word, and we can pray. We can talk to God. Yeah. Claiming God's promises. Absolutely. All these things are things we can fellowship together. We can be involved in Bible studies, right? We can dial into Zoom and join the Bible study. No, I mean, think about it. We can talk about our faith with other believers and share our faith. I mean, we can, every time we do these things, we are exercising our faith. Just the same way we all say, I need to get more exercise. You know, probably everybody's New Year's resolution. I need to get more exercise, right? Well, you know what? Maybe we, sometimes we need to get more spiritual exercise. Okay, we need to get more exercise by actually doing these things daily and regularly so we build some spiritual muscle. Doesn't mean we go out on our own. We still need God's power. But, you know, sometimes that, that you know, that hundred pound rock that I, not, I didn't used to be able to budge, now I can start to budge it a little bit. I still need God's strength to get it over where it needs to go, but at least I can do better than I could do before. Okay, and so that's just the same in our spiritual life as well. Then, but he talks about now, how do we address these spiritual attacks? And he starts to talk about the armor of God. And I don't know about you, but I love these verses. I love the, I think these are incredibly encouraging because, you know, God never sends us out to fight a battle without preparing us for that battle. Okay, so if we're out there getting beat up, it's because we didn't prepare. We, we're not even using the, the, the tools and the things that God gave us. Because he's given it to us. And so in verses 11 to 18, he tells us about God's armor. And what was the first thing he said? But to put it on. 
and to put it all on. Put on the full armor of God. Don't just go pick the ones that are pretty and that match your outfit today. You put on the full armor of God. Okay? And, and it's interesting to me, again, like I said, I, you guys know I don't do a lot of deep translations and things. Okay? But here's the thing. That word, put on, I had to look this one up because I just wanted to make sure it... You know, like when it says put on, it wasn't just a suggestion. And it's not. The verb that's used there about putting it on is an imperative. Okay? It's, so this isn't a suggestion. An imperative means this is a command. This is, this is a command. This is him telling you, put on the armor of God. Okay? He's not saying if it's only on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, only if it's not rainy, you know, only if you like it today. He's saying put it on. Now, why would that be an imperative? Why would he command us to put on the armor of God? Other than he knows we're going to need it. Right? So, this helps us stand against the devil's schemes. I just, you know, I just keep thinking. Say, I think so many times we, un we underestimate how clever Satan is. You know, he's been deceiving humans since Adam and Eve. He's had lots of practice. You know, he's had lots of practice. Folks, I mean, some of you guys are really smart. But i got to tell you, your intelligence is no match for Satan's schemes because he's had thousands of years. He's, he's, this is, he's not new at this. And he's not going to stop. He is not going to stop. It goes on to tell us, and boy, this is a hard one, I think, for a lot of us. It goes on to tell us that our struggles are against, are not against flesh and blood. I mean, on most days, if we were really honest, we all think our struggles are against flesh and blood. It's against him or her or that one or my boss or my, if only my kid would do this or, you know, my neighbor, right? I mean, we, if we're honest we would say that we feel like what we're fighting against every day is people and circumstances around us, okay? And that's just how good the enemy is. Right there, because we're all agreeing and I'm with you, that just tells you how good the enemy is at his job because he has convinced us all that, you know, my problem is you, or you. Do you understand? Or I'm your problem. When, no, that is not. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And if God says it's not, then isn't that really true that it's not? Even as much as it, I mean, even as much as I'm pretty sure I feel like it is? No, then... God doesn't lie to us, so that means it's not true. Okay? Our struggle is not with the world we live in or the people we can see, no matter how corrupt the world looks or how awful those people are. Our struggles are against the world we cannot see. We're struggling, it says, against rulers, authorities, and powers that's, that's the demonic hierarchy. That's the structure that was created a long time ago. And you know what? That's, that structure has had thousands of years to refine how well it's organized and the methods it will use. It's good at its job. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, Though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. 
the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Like I said, the evil forces at work in our world are well organized and they take their job seriously. So should we. Then he begins to give us a description of these pieces of armor. The belt of truth. Okay, now this, this whole thing with the God's armor, remember, it was written culturally at the time, okay? And so the example here was a Roman soldier, okay? So belt of truth. Roman soldiers wore a belt, piece of leather. It was, a bit, you know, we think this is a belt, right? You know, something, you know, okay? We think, you know, a little one-inch strap of, you know, imitation leather, you know, or whatever it is, is a belt. Okay, this thing was wider. This, this thing was a bigger, wider, almost like what, uh, you know, would, 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 well, I don't know what you'd call it, you know, but it's wider, okay? It, enough, so long enough that it protected uh, part of the thighs, uh, but the thing is, it held, it held up loose clothing. You know, men in those days, you know, tended to wear, like, robes and things, right, or longer, like skirts almost, okay? But you know what? You don't run like that because you'll trip and fall, right, ladies? You got on a long skirt, you don't you don't run, okay? So you know the phrase, he's got, he girded up his loins. That's where this comes from. Because what he does is he grabs the thing and he tucks it into that belt, okay? When um, uh, when the father of the prodigal son, when he saw him, and it says he he you know when he saw him, he started running, okay? That guy had to gird up his loins to run because otherwise he'd have tripped a hundred times getting to his son. Okay, so that's what this belt of truth was. It was also so the soldier could gird himself up to run, but it also served an incredibly important purpose because that, that belt of truth, that belt he wore, was also his foundational piece of armor. Every other piece of armor he would put on was attached to that belt one way or another. It either held it up or held it down. It held it into place. Without the, without the belt... The other armor wouldn't work properly. For us, God's truth is foundational for us against the attacks of the enemy. Then he talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate was a tough, sleeveless uh, piece of armor that covered the torso. Okay? Um, its job was to protect the vital organs, the heart and the lungs and the, the liver. And it also protected uh, the, the, the stomach and the intestines. It protected, okay, all of this. And which is a very interesting thing because in Jewish, in ancient Jewish thinking, the heart represented the mind and the will. And the bowels or intestines were considered the seat of emotions and feelings. Interestingly, the mind and emotions are the two places that Satan most commonly attacks followers of Jesus. Because first, he tempts us to think wrong thoughts, right? And he, then he encourages us to feel wrong emotions. Our protection against that is the breastplate of righteousness. Literally, for us, the breastplate of righteousness that we put on as spiritual armor 
is the practical righteousness of a life being lived daily in obedience to the Word of God. Ephesians 4.24, a couple weeks ago we read it, it said, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, your breastplate of righteousness. Then it talks about feet. Fitted with the preparation of the gospel. Fitted with the readiness of the good news. Look, for Roman soldiers, their shoes or their boots were really important. Think about most soldiers. I mean, you can be well armed, but if your feet are injured, you can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. So, Roman soldiers' shoes, interestingly enough, were also, and you've probably read this, heard it, but were kitted out with either spikes or nails in the sole. Okay, and the whole idea there was they were like cleats, okay, for them. And it would help them to dig in and hold ground in a battle as well as to assist them in moving forward. You know, it helped them bite in and be able to move forward with power and confidence. Look, this piece of armor has to do with giving us confidence in battle as well. We've got to be confident that our gospel that we proclaim is not only true, but it's powerful. Our spiritual footwear is important in our warfare to come against Satan's schemes because if we are equipped with the preparation of the gospel of peace, then we will not stumble when we are under attack because we are at peace with God. Romans 10.15 says, How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news who bring that gospel of peace. <coughs> then he talked about the shield of faith. Several types of Roman shields, different sizes. Some were round, some, okay. This one that's being spoken of here, if you look back in the original where this was written, it's called, it's the thurios. This is a big shield. This shield is almost three feet wide, almost five feet long. This is a big, big shield. It was designed to protect the entire body of the soldier. It was made of wood, covered with metal, and then on top of that, heavily oiled leather. Just before battle, they would soak the shields in water, and the leather would, would soak it up. Okay? When it came time for battle, the Roman soldiers would line up in a row with their shields in front. Think about it, shoulder to shoulder, a three foot wide by five foot shield. They say the guys back then weren't quite as tall as we are today, so you know, my head wouldn't have been <laughs> over the top like it would, okay? But what it did, shoulder to shoulder, it, it formed a protective wall. Performed, it formed a protective wall, not only for the soldiers themselves, but for those who come after them, okay? And the reason it was soaked was then the flaming arrows of the enemy would be stopped by the shield but extinguished by the water-drenched leather. There's another thing that the shield could do, and I think this is an incredibly encouraging thing relative to our faith. That shield was also used, think of it, like a cot to transport wounded soldiers away from the battle. 
You might recall in the New Testament, there's an account of four men who brought, who brought their injured friend, their paralyzed friend to Jesus, carrying him on a mat. I love that story for several reasons, but the, maybe the reason I think above today is that story says nothing about the faith of the man on the, on the mat. It says that when Jesus saw the faith of his friends, he was moved. Sometimes our shield of faith is meant for us to also carry some of the wounded among us who've been harmed spiritually, been harmed by the world, and carry them to the Savior, who, I don't know their condition, but when Jesus sees the faith of the friends who will bring them, he's touched and he moved and he healed that man. They brought on their, those four friends carried their friend on their shield of faith. Look, um, we can... Our faith not only sees us through the toughest situations, but sometimes our faith may be needed to protect others and those who come behind us as well. Then he talked about the helmet of salvation. No soldier goes into battle without their helmet. Okay? Uh, it was supposed to protect their heads. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, in their day, uh, it was particularly to protect them from the broadsword that was used, which is called a romphea, about four feet long, double-edged, four feet long. And this romphea was carried by cavalrymen riding on horses that were attacking, okay? And what they tried to do, all they tried to do, and I, I'm sorry, this is, but this is the real life of war, was to swing for the heads of, of the soldiers. They weren't trying to, you know, they were on horseback. They couldn't reach their legs. Right? All they were doing was swinging for the head. Okay? And that helmet would protect the heads of the soldiers. Um, you know, the two edges of Satan's broadsword that he tries to use against us are discouragement and doubt. Discouragement and doubt. He wants to discourage us as he points to our failures and our sins and our unresolved problems. Anything that could make us lose confidence and then doubt God. Then we need to understand about that broadsword. The one that Satan's got is he will never lay this sword down as long as we're on the earth. He is swinging it for us. Our hope, our confidence in our ultimate salvation is the real strength of our helmet. Our present struggle with Satan will not last forever. Amen? Yeah, amen, I'm so thankful. It will not last forever. And in the end, we are victorious. But there are some difficulties along the way. Then he talks about the sword of the Spirit. For the Roman soldier, the sword was this sword, this sword of the Spirit. This was a personal weapon. Okay? This one was called the Machira. It was about 18 inches long. It's double-sided, about 18 inches long. Uh, this was the sword that was used in hand-to-hand -hand combat, up close. This isn't the one for swinging wide. This is the one for up-close combat. It was carried in a sheath attached to the belt of truth. 
Okay, attached to the belt. In spiritual warfare, the sword of the spirit can destroy arguments. It can undercut doubts It can and fears. It can give boldness and confidence, and it can provide a pathway to holiness. However, your sword... By the way, what is your sword? The Word of God. Your sword is the Bible. It's the Word of God, right? Your sword will not do you any good as you stand to seek against spiritual forces if all you're doing with it is just carrying it around. Okay? It's not meant to be an accessory. Okay? You have to fully immerse yourself in the Word if you want to have the armor you need to fight. The Word of God exposes false theology. It dispels lies you're told about yourself. We saw that on the video this morning. The enemy lies to us. It'll dispel those lies. It'll also help you break free from addictions and pornography and greed and debt. It'll also convict you of sin and thankfully it will lead you to the Savior. Hebrews 4.12 tells us how powerful the Word of God is. It says it is alive and active. What other book ever written claims that it is living and active? None. 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 And you know why that's important? Is because that's why the Word of God today, when we look at when we read it and we look at our lives and we go, isn't it amazing? This book was written, you know. A long time ago, and there's a lot of other stuff that's old, and we go, well, that doesn't apply anymore. Well, I, that's, that's, I, I can only, this only makes sense when I read it in context of the time it was written. Right? If you read a book on farming technology written in 1600, I don't think they're teaching that in agriculture school today. Does that make sense? There's a lot of very good things written a long time ago that aren't very useful today. The Word of God is more useful today than ever. Think about it. It all applies. It all still applies. That's why it's a big deal that it is living and active, and that's why it is such an effective sword of the Spirit. Because it, will, it fits every situation of every generation that has ever lived or ever will live. We just need to become good at using it. And then finally, he talks about prayer. Unfortunately, prayer, I believe, is one of the most often overlooked and underutilized pieces of God's armor. We all talk about it a lot. I'm not sure we do it as much as we talk about it. Okay? It's, it's really important. Paul lists all the other pieces of armor first because he wants all of them to be worn and utilized under the anointing of spirit-led prayer. None of these weapons were ever meant to be used in our own strength. It's God who fights our battles and gives the victory. However, he does want us to put on the armor and prepare for the battle. He expects us to show up. And then like so many battles we've read about in Scripture, the army, God's army was told to go and show up. And when they got there, the battle was already done. (laughs) But they wouldn't have known it if they hadn't showed up. Sometimes you got to show up. Then you see God's blessing. You see God's provision. Prayer is also our access to his power, his wisdom, and his endurance, his patience, and his joy. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 
16 and, uh, to 18. Rejoice always, but pray continuously. Pray continuously. So, look, today, uh, a lot of things we've talked about, but as we get ready to close this study of Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians, you know, we, we've, we've learned uh, that, the, that the theme of this book is about, you know, how we can live our lives effectively for the Lord, okay, and then position ourselves to receive his blessings, but now even, and to equip ourselves to face the spiritual battles uh, that are going to certainly come, okay? So I just thought to myself, well, okay, what we really need then as we, as we kind of prepare to go out of here today and back into the world is to then kind of answer the question for each of us, how can we be battle ready? Because we know the battle is coming. Well, the first thing we need to do to be battle ready is to reject fake armor. Reject fake armor. Only accept the real armor of God. The enemy will try to fool you with knockoffs, with other plans, substitute ideas, other, other things that, are, that, that may look good, that may look good, but they won't protect you. They won't protect you. Too often, people try to protect themselves with worldly armor, like money, gated communities, okay? You know, you name it. Think of all the things people try to do to protect themselves, okay? These are worthless against Satan, and they only lead to isolation and defeat. To be battle-ready, we need God's armor. Second thing, keep your armor on. All of it. Never take your armor off. And there's a really simple reason why. Satan doesn't work a nine-to-five job. He will not attack you at the time you're going, oh, I wear my armor from when I get up in the morning till, you know, till I get home from work and then I'm off duty. No, guess what? That's right when the attack will come. You, he just seldom attacks during normal business hours. And so if you're not vigilant about wearing the armor of God, you will find yourself ill-equipped and unprepared on the day of his attack. Last question. I know I've asked you a bunch today, but this stuff's important for us to really have nailed down in our minds. So when we, we say put on the armor of God, literally, practically, how do you do that? How do you put on the armor of God? Sure. Prayer, prayer is certainly part of it. What, how, else, how else, though, what else do we do to get it on? We need, to have a, we need to actually have a desire to live a holy and righteous life. Right? Uh, we, we, we need to not only pray, but we need to know God's Word. Right? We need to actually know God's Word. And we need to have it in our hearts. We've talked a lot about hiding God, but we need to have it in our hearts because if it's in my heart, no matter where I am, I got God's word. I'm ready, I'm ready for battle. I'm ready for battle. Je Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Satan was after him continuously. What, what weapon did Jesus use to fight Satan? He used the word. What did he, he answered every challenge with, a, with a, a verse that specifically, it was living and active. It was like the 18-inch 
up-close, personal warfare. It was surgical, the answers that he gave. The more we know God's word, the better that we will be able to not swing broadly, just causing all kinds of damage, you know, collateral damage, but being specific and tactical with the word of God to accomplish God's will. Because that's the final part then, is we keep it all on, and then we learn how to use it. You know, armor is of little use or even dangerous if it's not worn correctly or used correctly. Think about it when David was going to fight Goliath. They tried to put Saul's armor on him, and David said, no, man, this, is, this doesn't fit. This is, this is, you know, I mean, think about it. You know, the, we, we need to put it on and learn to use it because then we can use it correctly. God's provided us with these effective tools to make us battle ready. It's our job then to read his word daily, to stay in prayer constantly, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit continuously to ensure that we can use our armor effectively. Okay, so would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? Um, just Everybody just take a second, bow your head, close your eyes. But... You know, if today, if you've realized that, that you haven't been making use of all God's armor, his, all of his spiritual armor, and, and, you, and you recognize some armor that you've been missing, uh, just raise your hand. Yep, Lord, I haven't been using all your armor. Amen. Amen. Okay, but then if you're also ready to commit to living a righteous, holy life, to studying God's word and to exercising your faith and, and wearing God's armor at all times as best you can, raise your hand. Amen. Lord, today, you've seen our hands. God, we want to be ready for the battles that you call us to fight. Lord, we want to be equipped with the spiritual armor of God. And so, Lord, we, we commit, Lord, to living lives that will get that armor on us and keep it on. Lord, we trust you. And, Father, we thank you for your love and provision and care in our lives. In Jesus' name. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen.